Hello and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown. We are your guides for this incredible journey, Gary and my wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. Hi, Gary. How are you? I'm fine. I'm actually happy to be back at the swing of this. Oh, cool. Me too. Well, we had to be a delay for a couple of weeks and I apologize for that. I had thought we could continue podcasting while we were pulling up the carpet in our office and living room and putting down hardwood floors. I quickly discovered that when you take out the carpet and you take off everything off the wall so that you can paint them, our house echoes like the Grand Canyon. Yes, it does. So there was no podcasting to be had. But it looks good. It does look good now. Very, and very proud of you and Chris and Carla. Y'all did a fabulous job. Yeah, Chris is an amazing handyman and an expert at laying down the floor and cutting those odd angles. The only downside to this new floor is that you might hear the click-clack noise of Sam, our Great Dane, walking to and fro and his nails tapping on the hardwood floors instead of on the carpet. But we'll see if that gets picked up by the microphones. Otherwise, we are all set and I have a great story for today. But first, a word from our sponsor. Welcome back. Now, Goldie Ann, today we are going to be discussing the thylacine. The what? I know. Another name for it is the Tasmanian tiger or the Tasmanian wolf. Puppies! I love puppies! Well, we're going to be talking about this distinct Australian one. But during my research, I discovered many rare facts about this creature that you may not be aware of. Oh, yeah? None were as strange as the fact that the Tasmanian wolf can't dance. Well, he is an animal. A wild animal at that. Well, actually, it's due to the fact that they have two left feet. Oh, my God. I did not see that one coming. <laughs> Well, the jokes had to return. <laughs> now, despite the jokes, today's story is not the normal creepy tale we share on this show usually. Today, it has more sad aspects. No! Well, it can be quite upsetting to some of our listeners because it's going to deal with the possible extinction of an entire species due to the effects of man. I'm going to save the puppies. Okay, you do that. Okay. We are storytellers of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. We don't tend to upset our listeners on purpose, so listener discretion is always advised. And with that being said, the main source for today's episode comes from Thylacine, the History, Ecology, and Loss of the Tasmanian Tiger by Brandon Holmes and Garrett Leonard, which is available on Amazon, and I will post it in our show notes. Australia is kind of scary because everything there wants to kill you. This is true. And the Tasmanian tiger can be as scary as many of those animals. But as the sun beat down on the sprawling landscape of the Australian outback, a stealthy predator emerged from the shadows of the dense underbrush. Moving cautiously, it made sure to stay downwind of its intended prey, a small rodent busily nibbling on the seeds of the plants around it. 
The carnivorous hunter was not a common sight, but being a stealthy and timid creature, it resembles a medium to large sized dog and it was no ordinary canine or wolf. Its coat is marked with dark transverse stripes that radiate from the top of its back, but this is no tiger either. This is a unique species of animal known as the thylacine, also called the Tasmanian wolf or the Tasmanian tiger. The history of this fascinating creature dates back to at least 1.77 million years ago. Wow, that's a long time. They existed for a long period roaming Australia, New Guinea, and Tasmanian island continents for centuries. Still, nowadays its population has been so significantly reduced due to hunting, disease, and habitat loss. Is it bad that I didn't even know there was a Tasmanian wolf? Well, that's what the show's for, is to teach you things. Well, I know, but that's how dwindled they are. I mean, I know of Tasmanian devils. Which are a species that still exists and thrives today. Despite being declared extinct in 1936, there are some people who claim to have spotted this elusive creature in different parts of Australia fueling speculations about the possibility that there are still small pockets of these creatures existing in the wild. Regardless of the lack of concrete evidence to support these claims, the mystery and fascination surrounding it continue to captivate the imagination of people around the world. So join us today as we explore within the mists of Australia and search for the cryptid known as the thylacine. Thylacine. Sounds like a allergy medicine or something. Actually, it's Latin, and what it means is is dog-faced creature with a pouch. So He has it, a pouch? Like a kangaroo? Very much so. It has a pouch, making it a marsupial, so unlike dogs, wolves, and tigers. Oh, okay. And another unique feature of it is that the pouch is rear-facing. Which, as a kangaroo, it means the pouch opens towards the head so that the kangaroos can hop in. The thylacine has a pouch in the back so that the pups can jump in and out towards the tail. Huh. Interesting. There are so many interesting things about it. Chapter 1. The Carnivore of the Outback The first people arrived on the Australian mainland via sea approximately 50,000 to 65,000 years ago. They were the first guardians of the ancient land, walking its rugged shores and weaving their stories into the red earth. But it was not until 1770 that Lieutenant James Cook, a man of the sea, claimed the east coast of Australia for Great Britain. Cook's ship, the Endeavour, sailed confidently into Botany Bay its sails billowing like the wings of a bird. The land he discovered was lush and green, and it welcomed them with open arms. His men scrambled off the ship, eager to explore and claim this new territory as their own and for the Empire of Britain. With his sharp eyes and keen mind, Cook saw the potential for colonization in this foreign land. 
As Cook returned to London, he shared his reports about Botany Bay with the British government. His tales spoke of fertile soil, abundant resources, and a vast expanse of unclaimed land waiting to be tamed. And so, the wheels of colonization began to turn, fueled by greed and a lust for power, regardless of the people and animals who already called the land their own. The land was already theirs for the first people, the Aborigines. It was their home, their sacred ground. And as the British ships arrived, they brought with them a wave of destruction, forever changing the landscape and the lives of those who called it home. It was on the 18th of January, 1788, that the first fleet, consisting of 11 ships, arrived at Botany Bay. As they anchored their ships and stepped onto the sandy shores, they were met by the curious faces of the first people who had been watching from a distance. In order to try and win the people over, they were gifted dogs. The Aborigines weren't used to having pets such as dogs to help them in their hunting, so many of them escaped and formed their own feral packs, which became known as the Dingoes of today. Yes, the dingoes. I was thinking of the painted dogs. Painted dogs are African, though. Correct. Okay. The British, however, were not here to make friends. Their mission was to establish a penal colony and claim this land as their own. And so they've moved further up north to Port Jackson and set up camp in what is now known as Sydney Cove. As more British colonies were established across Australia, Explorers began venturing into its vast interior, facing treacherous terrain and unpredictable weather conditions. Their expeditions resulted in the discovery of new resources, such as gold and coal, leading to more and increase in European settlements and further displacing the first people. Establishing large-scale agriculture industries also led to conflicts over land ownership and traditional hunting grounds. When the British ventured further into the unknown, their eyes were met with creatures of unimaginable beauty and wonder. They saw the kangaroo, a man-sized animal with a huge tail and babies that jumped in and out of its pouch. They saw a beaver that possessed a duck bill known as the platypus. And then, among these new discoveries, was the thylacine. Now, the thylacine has a luxurious shade of copper coat with its dark stripes running along its back and sides. Its body is elongated and streamlined for quick speed, similar to that of a greyhound. It also possesses a powerful tail that tapers to a point. And unlike most dogs, its tail is stiff, acting as a balance more than as any other function. Like a kangaroo. Very similar to a kangaroo. The head is angular and it has a unique jaw structure that gives it a distinctive wolf-like appearance. The howl echoes through the wilderness, a haunting mix of howl and bark that would send shivers down the spines of those who sat around campfires and heard it in the night. Now, another surprising thing about the thylacine is that it has a 
powerful jaw that sports 46 teeth rather than the 42 of most other canines. Better to bite you with, my dear. You would think. And, like most marsupials, thylacines have a pouch that can hold litters of up to four young. And as I mentioned earlier, this pouch faces to the rear, allowing the pups to hop in and out even as the thylacine is moving. So is it considered... So it's not considered a canine breed, it's a marsupial. It, it is a marsupial more than it is a canine. In fact... Why do they just call it wolf? Because his face looks like a wolf? Yes. Oh. Well, why do they call it tiger when it, just because it has stripes? Oh, good point. The thylacine got a lot of names and a lot of things were wrong about what they thought about this creature, as we're going to cover. Okay. I'm jumping ahead. As usual, but I don't mind. <laughs> Now, the thylacine is also known as the Tasmanian tiger or the wolf, but it's not a tiger and it's its own unique species. And for thousands of years, it reigned as the apex carnivore of the Australia and Tasmania. The thylacine is also highly adaptable, found in a variety of habitats, which means it could be found in forests, grasslands, and wetlands. Now, you mentioned that it looks and sounds very intimidating and dangerous. Right. However, its diet actually consists only of small to medium-sized mammals and rodents. Oh, so I can pet it. <laughs> okay. Now, some of these can be as big as wallabies, which are smaller versions of kangaroos. Yeah, but still not big. Well, it hunts birds, reptiles, and, and sometimes, larger prey. Yeah, puppy, puppy, puppy. Despite its fearsome reputation as a predator, the thylacine is actually a solitary creature and doesn't hunt in packs like a wolf does. It really didn't possess any threat to settlers and there was no incidences of any attacks by the thylacines on those early pioneers. Yet, as the European settlers continued to spread across Australia, they brought with them their own beliefs and ideas about land ownership. Thylacine, as the top predator, was seen as a threat to these new industries. Stupid people. They're about to get dumber. That doesn't surprise me. Chapter 2, Vampire Wolf. In the late 18th century, the British Empire had this crazy idea to expand their global commerce and they wanted to establish a lucrative wool trade in Australia. With this goal in mind, they sent massive amounts of livestock, sheep mostly, farming materials, and a small army of sheep herders to the vast and unknown land. However, the Australian settlers soon realized that they lacked the necessary skills and knowledge to establish a thriving sheep herd in Australia. Due to the harsh terrain that they didn't realize, the brutal heat that they didn't realize, and the foreign climate, all of these were too much for the sheep to handle. Wow, yeah, I never really thought about that. Well, moreover, the sheep herding expertise that the pioneers had at that time was completely inadequate to have a wool industry thrive. So what happens? The sheep started dying off at an alarming rate. And the sheep herders began looking for a scapegoat to blame for their failure. The banks wanted their money and they wanted their wool. 
the sheep herders had to come up with a solution. So what did they do? They turned their accusatory eyes to the Tasmanian wolf, a creature that was as elusive and mysterious as it could be fearsome. Is that a word? Accusatory? It is now. <laughs> I couldn't think of another word for it, and I'm like, maybe that is a word. <laughs> it worked. Well, podcasts don't have spell check. Okay. Now, despite the lack of any proof, the sheep herders believed that the Tasmanian wolf was responsible for all the deaths of their livestock, and they sent back reports to Europe to say so. They claimed to have seen it lurking in the shadows, stalking the sheep with a sly and cunning intelligence. The rumors of a vampire wolf began to spread like wildfire. Why not? Frightening the settlers and adding to the strained relationship with the native wildlife. Every time a sheep went missing or died, it was immediately blamed on this elusive creature. People are stupid. So what is a vampire wolf? Well, according to the early Australians, a vampire wolf was described as having a sleek, dark coat that glistened in the moonlight. Its eyes were a piercing red that seemed to glow with an otherworldly intensity. Its teeth were many, sharp, and deadly, ready to tear into unsuspecting prey. Having more teeth than the common dog made this creature seem to be possessed of row after row of teeth. Its body was solid and muscular, with a powerful presence that struck fear into anyone who saw it. In reality, the thylacine was not a blood-sucking monster. It's actually very shy and elusive marsupial that had been pushed to the brink of extinction by a human encroachment on its habitat. The more the settlers took for the sheep farmland, the less the thylacine had. Disease that they had never been exposed to before started taking its toll. It was only because of its unusual appearance and its behavior that added to the mystery of surrounding it. So, what behavior made it seem like a vampire? Actually, it's just a product of its natural instincts as a predator. It always hunted at night, and its prey was always the most vulnerable, the sick, the injured, the old, and it used its jaws and sharp teeth to take down small animals like wallabies and rodents, but it avoided contact with the larger humans as much as possible. They got a raw deal. And sadly, it was their own defense mechanisms that created this demise for them. Because a thylacine has this oppressive ability to open its mouth far wider than any other animal other than reptiles. So imagine Sam or Penny, our dogs, opening their mouth and how wide they can open it, even in yawning. Right. Now realize that the thylacine can actually open its jaws almost 90 degrees. Wow. And like an alligator. Actually larger than an alligator. Oh. Like I said, the only animals that actually open their mouths to a greater degree of angle are snakes. Thylacines could open up their mouths 90 degrees to show off all those teeth that they had. And it made it look 
much larger and very much more intimidating. Worse for it is that it produced a loud hissing noise, similar to an opossum. An opossum gives off this hiss and this roar in an attempt to frighten away threats. It's not aggressive, it's defense. So now you have this thylacine who has his mouth as open as wide as he can, showing off all of his teeth, hissing in order to try and frighten you away, when actually it's probably terrified of you. This display, adding to the fact of it may have having blood on its face from a recent rodent kill, created the tales of the monstrous vampiric wolves that were told across the sheep herders of Australia and passed on to the bankers of Europe. Yeah, I can see where that would happen. I mean, people really didn't know much about animals. They, I mean, they just didn't know everything that we've learned over the years. So yeah, it's a vampire. Dog, vampire, bat, vampire. Wolf. Wolf. <laughs> well, the settlers were already on edge due to the harsh conditions in their new home. So having the idea of a blood-drinking wolf lurking in the shadows, eating their sheep, added to their fears. Soon, every strange noise in the night or unexplained disappearance was attributed to this elusive vampire wolf, whether it was true or not. As time went on, the stories became more and more exaggerated, obviously. Some claimed that the vampire wolf could transform into other animals at will, or it could vanish into a puff of smoke. So now it's a skinwalker. In contrast, others whispered that it had a supernatural powers bestowed upon it by an ancient curse of the land. Despite no real evidence of such a creature existing, these tales continued to frighten and captivate the people for years. The thylacine's unique physical features and secretive nature inadvertently created an aura of mystery and fear around it, solidifying its reputation as Australia's very own vampire wolf. Everything's trying to kill you in Australia, I tell you. Well, yes, but not vampire wolves. So the settlers continued to blame every misfortune on the mysterious creature. So was our solution? They began to actively hunting it down. They set traps and organized hunting parties to rid themselves of what they saw as a dangerous threat. In fact, they were actually offering money for the pelts of the thylacines. Ugh. And there was no limits to how many that you could bring in. People were actually making more money hunting thylacines than they were by raising sheep and collecting wool. This added to the decline of the thylacine population. Their numbers dwindled and the settlers relentlessly kept continuing to hunt them. When the settlers brought their dogs to Australia, these dingoes formed packs and the thylacine or the Tasmanian wolf just couldn't compete with the dingoes. Oh yeah, dingoes are mean. And, they, and since they hunt in packs and the thylacines are in small family groups, right. They were no match. So the population dwindled. But curiously, Goldian, Poor puppies. The sheep population also continued to dwindle despite the very few vampire wolves that were left. Uh, that would be dingoes. Very much likely. And this proved their innocence in the failed wool industry. 
By all accounts, it was estimated that at least 3,500 Tasmanian wolves were killed through human hunting between 1830 and 1920s. Wow. Chapter 3, The Last Tasmanian Wolf. So I guess they didn't reproduce, reproduce as fast as a wolf would then. They couldn't keep up with the hunting effort. Exactly. So they must have a long gestation. Well, the year was 1936, and the last known shooting of a wild thylacine had took place six years earlier. The once thriving population was now on the very brink of extinction. Sightings in the wild became rare and uncertain. This fact and the alarming decline in numbers finally sparked concern amongst the science and zoological communities. People of England started talks of preservation measures, of creating sanctuaries and breeding programs to save the species from disappearing altogether. But during these six years, these discussions were often met with resistance, deemed unnecessary, and a waste of resources by those who saw the Tasmanian wolf as more of a relic of the past and a nuisance, a creature no longer relevant to the modern world of Australia. Wow. That's how the people in the 1930s viewed them. And as the 1930s progressed, the Tasmanian wolf continued to hold a special place in the hearts of a small group of people who were determined to see it survive. These individuals, primarily scientists and naturalists, recognized the importance of preserving this unique and iconic species. Finally, in 1936, that effort was made to protect the thylacine. After years of lobbying by concerned individuals and organizations, including the renowned naturalist David Flay, the Tasmanian government finally granted protected status to the species on July 10th of 1936. A little late. Uh, not just a little late. This decision came too late. Just 59 days on September 7th, 1936, after the milestone in thylacine conservation and protection, the last known surviving Tasmanian wolf died in captivity at Hobart's Bumeris Zoo. Aww. Known as Benjamin, this male Tasmanian wolf had been born in captivity in 1933 and spent his entire life under human care in a zoo. That's very sad. And it gets worse. Oh, jeez. Well, his death was attributed to neglect by the zoo staff and sparked outrage amongst conservationists. Oh, I want to cuss, but I know I can't. Well, it seems that he was in an open enclosure that offered no shelter from the weather, the rain, or the cold, and basically died more of neglect than anything else. Those mother beepers. Very much. Zoos and museums worldwide had hopes to acquire specimens for display, and several expeditions were organized for that purpose into the outback of Tasmania. So depressed now. In 1937, a group of American businessmen funded an expedition into Tasmania in the hopes to capture more live thiocenes for display in their private zoos. The team included professional hunters and were armed with traps and tranquilizers. 
However, their efforts proved fruitless as they could not capture any of the thylacines. That following year, another expedition launched by the London Zoological Society, who worked with the Tasmanian government and the team was equipped with the modern equipment of the time and advanced tracking methods. But again, they were unsuccessful in filing any Tasmanian wolves. Different organizations and individuals always made similar attempts over the next few decades. Still, none have ever been able to capture a living thylacine. That's so sad. Well, in the 1960s, there was a renewed interest in the thylacine that sparked another wave of expeditions by naturalists and scientists. More parties went out into the outback. These efforts focus on conservation rather than capturing specimens for display. There were those that believed that the species could still be found in remote regions of Tasmania, and so they hoped to gather evidence to support this belief rather than catching them. There have always been reports of alleged sightings also continuing to fuel these expeditions. There has not been any concrete evidence being found, and many remained convinced that a small population of thylacines was still living in the wild. There has been no conclusive evidence in the thylacine's continued existence, and so the animal has been officially declared extinct since 1986. Wow. Now, I'm going to show you a video, Goldie Ann. Okay. And I will post this on our show notes and on our Facebook page. But this is video of the last thylacine. Just so you can get an idea of what this creature looked like. As you can see, he's very docile. He has the elongated head, his solid coat. Ooh, see how I know he has an incredible, like you said, an alligator-like mouth that could be very terrifying. Stripes. He's beautiful. They are very beautiful creatures, but as you can see, the zoo is crap. Yeah, and we're not we're not even seeing the whole enclosure. We're actually just seeing a small portion of it as it was filling it. But you can see how terrifying it can be seeing how large they mope in their mouths. But sadly, this is some of the last video taking of a living thylacine. But it may not be the last of its kind entirely. Yeah. As people are constantly posting on Reddit and on YouTube. In fact, here's another video I'm going to post of someone reportedly possibly seeing one going across a parking lot. That's not a dog. Definitely not a dog. Definitely Definitely not a dog. tail looks like a raccoon. I mean, a kangaroo. Right. It sticks out in the back. Now, this video that I'm talking about of the thylacine spotted in 2020 crossing a parking lot has been said to probably be a fox more than a Tasmanian uh, tiger. Fox of range. It's possible. But it does give hope and credence that the Tasmanian tiger or thylacine still exists. There have been so many sightings of the Tasmanian tiger that the government has changed the 1968 extinct to now being fundamentally extinct. Now, what's the difference between being extinct and fundamentally extinct? Is that now the government believes that there may still be some thylacines in existence, 
but it's considered fundamentally extinct because the numbers are so small that they don't affect the environment. So even the government does concede that this is a cryptid that might still exist out there. There are others who have a different view on the future of the Tasmanian tiger. Their goal? Bringing back thylacine from extinction, and it, which has sparked heated debate among scientists. Some have delved into the possibility of actually cloning. Oh my gosh. Hoping to resurrect the lost species. I don't know about all that cloning stuff. I know. We saw Jurassic Park and it doesn't end well. <laughs> I mean, not just that. I mean, it's just like, that's, it would still be fake. Well, let me explain how this would work. The process is not without its complications and high cost, as obtaining viable DNA samples would prove to be difficult, and the technology for successful cloning is still in its very early stages. If you walk through the Natural Museum of Australia, you can see glass display cases, and inside you can see the only surviving complete wet specimen of a thylacine, which is means it's a full thylacine that's actually been preserved in uh, formaldehyde or formalin. Right. So they actually do have a complete thylacine. And the museum also houses two pelts, skeletons, and preserved body parts, all of which have been collected and maintained by the Australian Institute of Anatomy. In March of 1999, geneticist George Church and a tech entrepreneur Ben Lamb gathered in their shared office and created their latest project. With a donation of five million Australian dollars, which is about 3.6 American, this allowed them to establish the Thylacine Integrated Genetic Restoration Research Lab. So basically Jurassic Park. Right. Here they would work tirelessly to try to bring back the extinct Tasmanian tiger. <clears throat> they estimated that within 10 years, they could have a version of the animal that is at least 90% similar to the original Tasmanian tiger. Their ultimate goal would be to reach 99.9% .9 similarity. Uh, to do this, they would have to monitor and test the engineered animals for many years before releasing a small but genetically diverse population of about 100 proxy thylacines back into the wild. Here's how it would work. With the aid of advanced genetic technology, the extinct woolly mammoth may actually still roam the earth once more. Oh God! Well, the plan involves injecting a mammoth DNA that they found frozen in the uh, Arctic into an Asian elephant's genome. So injecting it into uh, an ova of an Asian elephant. That way it would implant the modified embryo into either an African elephant surrogate or into an artificial uterus. Huh. Now, the result wouldn't be identical to a woolly mammoth, but rather a new species, an arctic elephant with small ears, thick fur, a high domed head, and curved tusks. Well, we don't need that. It's kind of the forefront of the cloning of an extinct animal, and the reason behind this is that the woolly mammoth has a lot of species that are very similar to it. And so you would just breed into these Asian elephants and you would start you start pulling more and more of the woolly mammoth traits out until you actually create a creature that is so close to the woolly mammoth. Yeah, but why would we want to do that? Why did people want to 
bring back dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Now, the thylacine, however, stands alone in a crowded world of animal relatives. Geneticists are trying to piece together the genome of this creature, and they're 96% complete. And they have to tackle the final 4%, which are the most challenging pieces of the genetic puzzle. Then they will have a perfect 100% of a thylacine DNA. The problem is, is that the thylacine has no modern animal that's close enough to it, like the elephant and the woolly mammoth. Right. The thylacine, as we said, it's not a dog, it's not a wolf, it's not a tiger. So you can't use the ova of any of those animals in order to create a thylacine. So how do you create an animal that is so unique as Australia animals usually are? You don't. You just let nature have it. It's sad. I mean, we've lost a lot of animals over the years. Right. But as John Hammond said in Jurassic Park, if he was trying to bring back the condor, nobody would have any problems or aggregations about it. But because he was bringing back dinosaurs, that's when everyone was jumping his case. Exactly. Well, the thylacine was actually made extinct because of man. True. So bringing it back does kind of fall in our responsibility. True. Okay. I get you. Well, I don't know. So in closing, Goldian. Yes. We have the Tasmanian wolf that once existed for a million years until man got involved in in 1700s and basically wiped them out in less than 200 years. Wow. Good job. Good job. Now, there could be some still out there. There's a chance of bringing them back with genetic cloning. Who knows? What do you think of the story? I like the story. The story's sad. It's very sad. But, I mean, at least it wasn't. Well, no, it was killing of the animals. It was very much killing the animals. <laughs> they killed all the... I don't know. I'm a little depressed right now. I'm sorry. Well, in closing, let's hope that the videos and the pictures that people keep taking of the thylacines are accurate and not foxes, and that the thylacine still exists out there in the outback. It didn't look like a fox at all. Yeah, I know, but until we can actually catch one in the wild, we're never really going to know. But before we go, I want to remind everyone that we are on social media and would love to hear your stories and opinion about the thylacine, the Tasmanian wolf. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast, and we are also on Instagram and have an email at withinthemistpodcast at gmail.com for any of you who would like to share. Let us know, do you think the thylacine still exists? Is it the coelacanth of the sea? A species that everyone thinks is extinct until they find one? We hope you enjoyed our story of the thylacine and will return for another episode. Until then, enjoy your walkabout in the outback. Walkabout. And remain constantly curious. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, guys.